turned it into a den of thieves. We all know that story. Um, but tonight, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to approach this topic in a way that you probably wouldn't expect me to approach it, because I'm not going to actually focus on that story. So I apologize ahead of schedule. But instead tonight, I want us to um, take a little bit of a focus on why do we get angry? What is the reason beneath our anger? What can we learn from that? And what should our response be to that which is beneath our anger? Okay? And this was really, really helpful for me when I was doing a bit of reading about this because I learned that in psychology, they refer to anger as being a substitute emotion. Now, a substitute emotion being something which covers up for another emotion. Anger protects us from having to recognize or deal with our own real fears, thoughts, and emotions. And in doing so, it leads us to push blame and accusation onto other people rather than looking at ourselves and our own sin, which is quite confronting in itself, isn't it? It covers up, it, in, in short, it covers up our own hurts and emotions, and it's like a like a form of avoidance, so it sort of kicks the can down the road of, oh, I'll worry about that later, I'll worry about all that's going on in my heart a bit later. A way that we can um, visually think about that, maybe, if I can help us to explain it, is um, you, may, you may remember in 2007, um, the UK experienced some real intense flooding. I don't know, were there, were there floods here in 2007? I can't remember very clearly. I vividly remember it where I lived. Real intense flooding. Um, some of the houses in the village I lived in were waist deep, maybe chest deep in water. And um, I remember walking down the road with my dad to go and pick up some sandbags to help protect our house. And, um, and I, I very vividly remember seeing all the flood water ahead of me and not being able to see what the true reality was of the ground beneath. Because the flood water had covered what lay beneath. It was masking over what really laid beneath the surface. I couldn't tell if below me was tarmac, if it was gravel, if it was grass, if it was a stream. And that would have been pretty dreadful if I fell in there. But then what happens is only when the, when the flood water slowly fades away after the storm has passed, it's only then that we can see the true reality of what lays beneath, beneath the flood water. And isn't that just the same with us and our anger, I wonder, that our anger comes like a storm and it covers over the true reality of what lays beneath in our hearts. It masks over what is really going on beneath the surface. Helps us to kick that can of, oh, I'll deal with that later down the road. And for me, this, this completely made sense. This is like a light bulb moment because about a month ago, I was wronged by someone and my initial response for a while was anger at the person. How dare they do this to me? And it was, it was point the blame, point the blame, point the blame in anger. And it was only when I allowed Jesus into my heart to search deeper beneath what was going on, that I realized actually I wasn't just feeling anger, I was feeling a whole realm of different emotions and feelings beneath the surface 
I was experiencing all sorts of hurt, like betrayal. And tonight, I want to first of all ask you, where in your life is that anger? We've all experienced it, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe in the last year. But what is beneath your anger tonight? What is beneath the surface, metaphorically, of those floodwaters of anger going on in your heart? And the thing is, if we don't acknowledge that in our hearts, if we don't acknowledge the anger and what goes deeper beneath that, then unfortunately what happens is what happens when, when floodwaters retreat after time, we find they do lasting damage sometimes. I mean, in 2007, there were many farmers who had crops fail. I mean, I often chat to the boys and they can't play football on a Saturday because the pitch is waterlogged or something like that. Your, your, your perfect lawn in your back garden looks more like a marshland than it does, than it does turf after, after heavy rain, maybe. And is that also not a great resemblance of what our hearts might look like if we let anger fester? It'd be a challenge tonight that we need to ask God, Lord, what is beneath my anger? And would you speak to that so that it wouldn't fester, so that it wouldn't harden and so that as we read in Matthew, it wouldn't lead to judgment. And it says in verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Will that be a challenge to us tonight? So if our challenge is to acknowledge and control our anger rather than justify it, because Jesus really is the only one who really can justify being angry he's got enough reasons to be angry at me let alone the rest of us in this room in this world but if that's the case then we must learn from Jesus his self-control in anger because we see very few times for the amount of times Jesus really is valid in being angry we see very few times that he is angry which is why I'm not really talking too many too much about those times tonight he never really seems to get angry when you or I would get angry. Jesus has self-control, but he takes it one step further, Jesus. He teaches us that we don't just need self-control of our lips, which might speak out in anger. I'm sure we've all spoken out in anger many times. We don't just need physical self-control of our bodies, which might act out in anger. I know I've been there before. But we also need control of our hearts, minds, and thoughts. We need thought control when it comes to anger. Because my exact next, my exact, Jesus' exact next, exact next teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which isn't going to come up on the screen because I don't really want to focus on it too much, is, um, is on adultery. I just want to read to you what, what, what he says. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the point I'm getting at is not about adultery or lust, but that that theme of thought control, of heart control, continues through all of Jesus' teaching. And it continues on to anger as well. 
As in this instance where we're reading about, about anger, Jesus is actually specifically talking about, you can see the heading is about murder. Jesus is saying that if I have even been angry in my heart with a brother or sister, then I've, I've committed heart murder towards them. How many times have I committed heart murder towards someone that I would say I love? What a challenge. So, my default response then to anger should not be to point the finger of blame at someone else. It should not be to put the focus on my offender. It should not be to go down a rabbit trail of denial and avoidance. But instead, my default reaction to my anger in life should be to look inwards, to look inside my own heart. What is going on deeper within my heart? It is to take the plank out of my own eye before I take a look at the splinter in the persons beside me, the person who has offended me, who has caused me to be angry. It's to ask the question, what am I using anger tonight to cover up? What is like flood water covering and blanketing over my heart? What's it, what's it helping me avoid focus attention on in my life? What is there deeper within? Am I feeling hurt? Am I feeling vulnerable deep down? Am I feeling insecure about something? And it's only when we can identify what is going on deeper down that then Jesus can start a healing process, can't he? But, Jesus again takes it one step further, as he always does. And I want to read from the same passage, we'll just go a little bit deeper, from verse 23. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, um, Jesus was speaking this passage to uh, a group of people in Galilee. And if you know your geography well, then you know that Galilee is a three-day trip to Jerusalem where, uh, where they would go to offer their sacrifices in the temple. So, hypothetically, is Jesus saying... Galileans, get up, take your three-day trip to the temple in Jerusalem, buy a sacrificial animal on the way, and if you get to the temple after your three-day hike, and you realise, oh, there was this argument I have with my mate during the week, is he saying, leave your animal on the altar, the poor little thing, like, I don't know, maybe a lamb or something, like, barring away, leave it on the altar, take your three-day trip back to Galilee, Go make up with this person and then take another three-day trip back to Jerusalem to go and sacrifice the animal. In a similar way, for us here in St. Michael's, I wonder if you've ever come to church and we come into a time of worship, maybe tonight for you, um, you start worship and you feel like there's a, there's a block in the way. There's something preventing you from really worshipping and it's that you realise, I've got a broken down relationship in my life 
right now. And it's making it really hard for me to genuinely engage in worship. I know that I've felt that before. That I just, I, I really feel, uh, I, can't, I can't really engage in my worship because I know that something else in my life is, is, is not right right now. Is Jesus saying, when worship starts, get up and go and drive to the house, go and make up with them, be reconciled to them, go and have a cup of tea with them after, and then come back to church? Because by the time you get back, I'm pretty sure we would have packed up and left and um, gone home. So I think you would have missed out on the rest of the service. I'm not sure Jesus is meaning exactly that. I think, as Jesus does in a lot of his parables, he might be exaggerating to make a little bit of a point here. The point being, live your life daily that you should never ever have to do that. Changing the way we're called to live as Christians. Not as people of conflict, but of people as, of, of, re, of reconciliation. Live in a way that you should never ever have to leave during a church service to go and be reconciled to someone. If you have a quarrel with someone in a moment, resolve it in a moment. I mean, this is very, very vulnerable, but I had a little, um, little tiff with Craig earlier. During, during rehearsal. What did we do? So we practice what we preach, don't we, Craig? Straight afterwards, we went and we're reconciled to one another and we're good. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And that actually is exactly what life looks like, especially when we come to communion. So as we close up, I want to invite the band back up. Tonight, we're going to come around communion and... Communion is a time that we come together as a body in Christ. It's not intended as a time that we come together where we've got quarrels going on between us. I want to just I want to read from um, Corinthians. It should be coming up on the screen. If you want to turn with me to maybe if you've got your Bible, one Corinthians eleven. Paul unpacks this. Should be coming up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, I'll read. There we go. For I received from you, from chapter 20, from verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. In a similar way, just around this thought, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians 10, just on the previous page, verse 16 and 17. It says, It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. 
because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. That's us, for we all share in one loaf. So I said communion, we're designed to come forward as one body. And Paul challenges us to examine ourselves before we come to communion, to check ourselves, to check our hearts. We've really got to humble ourselves to do that in order to come to communion in a right way before the Lord. Not free of sin, because we're full of it. But that we've at least checked our hearts before the Lord, that we're doing this in a right way before the Lord. So tonight, what's going to happen is the band are going to lead us in a song of worship. And, and first of all, I want you to do two things. The first thing is during this song, I want you to, in whatever way is you're most comfortable with, whether it's sitting, whether it's standing, worshipping, is ask the Lord, where in my life is that anger? And if there is, Lord, what's beneath that? What's beneath my anger? And asking to help you to let it go, to come into your heart and begin the healing. And then secondly, after we've finished this song, Nick's going to come up and lead us in communion. And we're going to come to a point where we share the peace. If you've been coming to St. Michael's for a while, you know what that is, where we, we tend to get up and walk around the room and share the peace with one another. And that actually is not just a time where we tick a box of this is what you do during communion. It's, um, it's, it's coming from exactly what we read here. We should be examining ourselves before the Lord and we should be reconciled to one another before we come to communion this is your opportunity it takes us being really really brave that tonight in this room if there's maybe a quarrel or a little tiff that's been going on with with another person in the room just go and say peace be with you I love you as easy as that not great and just say peace be with you to, to everyone else in the room but tonight as we worship is ask the Lord where in my heart is that anger where is that bitterness Lord where do I need to ask you in so we all experience it but let's be people of reconciliation not people of conflict Lord Jesus, we thank you that though we do get angry, though we do face frustrations day by day, often we don't control it well enough. We thank you that there is grace. You're a God who freely forgives us for all our shortcomings. Lord, we pray tonight, would you speak to us in this moment? Or would you help us to realize where there might be anger in our hearts? where we might need you to come in, Lord, and begin a healing work. Would you help us, Lord, to understand what is deeper beneath that anger that we're experiencing? Lord, would you address that tonight? Would you help us to be receptive to your work in our hearts? Lord, would you help us to be people of reconciliation, not people of conflict? Thank you.
strive on love whenever we walk in this building and whenever we do our daily lives. Not people who are find our identity around our differences, but around our oneness in 